The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab Premium, number 332. It's all for you for May 19th, 2011. <laughs> Thursday. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. I don't think we need to tell them how we do the show. I'm pretty sure that... Or why we do the show. That's right. But we do but like answering do, your questions. What we do, we do all for you. That's right. Yes, you. <laughs> uh, so, we got an email from John. Not, not you, of course, John, but listener John, writing... I was listening to Mac Geek Ab 330 and heard John Braun say something near the end of the show about the Mac App Store being really slow to start up. I, too, had this issue. It was so bad that I avoided opening it at all unless I had time to simply walk away from the machine. There's a solution, but it might not be one that is advisable to take. I found this secret out in the Apple forum, so I can't take any credit for it. Uh, found another link about the same solution. The solution is this. Uh, if you open keychain access, choose preferences from the keychain access menu, click the certificates tab. You can turn off uh, certificate revocation list. You set that to off and that should solve your app store lockup issue or pause issue. Uh, for me, it dramatically improved the performance on my machine. Uh, so this is interesting, John, because on any machine that is set to defaults, of course, this particular setting is off. Um, and so John, John is curious if, if there's a risk here and if so, what that risk is uh, on my machines, this was off, but, but I know we've talked about this before. So, uh, so what did you see? When I turned off CRL, I saw a massive improvement in the startup time and just the throughput of what was happening in the app store. Okay. So you had it on, on your computer. Was this, uh, was this something you remember turning on? Yes. Okay. And you may be asking, why did I turn it on? Well, I, we had a discussion about it, but yeah, but I am curious. Yeah. So the reason that I turned it on is there was a recent scare and I found an article that goes over, but Komodo. Okay. One of the, one of the folks that issues certificates that are, you can also see in right. your keychain and certificates are a way to secure traffic. Mostly with your, I would say for the most part, most people see them when you do an HTTPS connection to another website. Or, or, a secure, or secure mail. Right, SSL. So anything that involves SSL, which includes a browser, and yes, you're absolutely correct. Uh, right. Connecting to a mail server can also, so SSL is not unique to web browsers. It can be used to secure web traffic, mail, and, and a lot of other things. And it's based on certificates. Now, the problem is there was a recent issue where some, uh, apparently some fraudulent certificates under this one group, Komodo, were issued. Okay. Now, the yep. thing is there are methods to determine whether this has happened and has been pointed out. So I'm going to make a speculation here, but I think it's a safe speculation. So if you go into this part in certificates, you, you will see two methods here. There, there's two, not one, but two. And right. that's a good thing. So they have one thing called OCSP, Online Certificate Status Protocol, and another called CRL. And, and from what I recall, OCSP is newer. Now, here's the thing. 
by default, they're both off. And that's probably a bad thing. Okay. Because you probably want to know, but, but here's what I found. If I turned off just CRL, but I left OCSP on best attempt, then it would speed things up. Okay, so it seems like it's just this CRL thing and not this OCSP thing that's causing the other thing. <laughs> the slowdown, yes. Yes. So for whatever right. reason, I, I think it defaults to CRL, and I think CRL, for whatever reason, is implemented in a way where it's just agonizingly slow. Okay. And, okay. and the way you can see this, of course, yeah, is the App Store. For some reason, check CRLs first, or depending on how you're set up, well, we'll go and check a CRL or certificate revocation list first. Then, yep. I mean, it shouldn't take as long as. No, I seem to remember when I, the first time I dug into adding certificates to Mac OS 10, which must've been three or four years ago, doing email certs and that sort of thing. And, and I remembered coming across this setting and thinking, well, gosh, that sounds like a pretty good idea. I should turn that on. And, and I obviously the Mac app store uh, was, was uh, not yet invented, at the time, but, but I remember other problems where it was like, gosh, this is slow. And thankfully I'd remembered, Oh, you know, I turned on those things and I turned them off and sure enough, it went away. But, um, but yeah, it, it's an interesting little, uh, little conundrum, but, but thanks John for, for sending that in. That's helpful for us and uh, helpful for hopefully even more of you out there. All right. Uh, moving on to Pratic. Uh, he writes, I've got a mid 2010, 15 inch MacBook pro I've installed all the OS updates and I'm currently at 1067. It's a great machine. And I love tinkering with it as evidenced by my replacement of my original hard drive and optical drive with a 500 gig hybrid hybrid drive and 115 gig SSD respectively. Everything works well, but recently, and I can't put my finger on when I lost my system sounds, specifically empty trash and move to trash and all the mail app sounds I've opened all the respective package files and those sound files are still there. I've opened the sound prep pane and made sure that play user interface sound effects is checked. When I move the sound slider, I get the little bubble sound. I checked my MIDI prep pane after checking online and confirmed that the internal speakers format is at 44.1 kilohertz. Uh, I'm not sure what else to do. All other sounds work fine. I have text expander. When a snippet is expanded, I get that little sound without any problem. Any additional tips at troubleshooting this would be most appreciated. All right. So, John, uh, you, you had some thoughts on this. And my guess is we'll pass it around. Absolutely. So here's where I would look. Mail. Preferences. General. New messages sound. And then there's a checkbox under that called play sounds for other mail actions. Okay. I'm wondering if that box is unchecked. On my machine, it's checked. So first, I didn't think there was a way to, to within mail to affect what sounds it would generate, but apparently there is. Right. So, yeah, you know, the, check it, if that box is unchecked. It may be unchecked, which would certainly explain the mail. That they're not. Uh, yeah, that, this is a weird problem because it's spanning. It, it's not unique to mail based on what what he wrote us. Right, right. It's it's system wide. I had this problem on my MacBook Pro. At some point, not not all that recently, but, you know, a little while back. And and his, uh, his when he said he checked the MIDI prep pane, what he means is he went into the uh, applications utilities audio MIDI setup is the name of the app. And uh, it truly is for setting up both 
MIDI devices and also audio devices. So you may come in here even without ever going to uh, have to mess with MIDI stuff. And what I found was the same thing he had where if you check uh, built in output for him, his sources, external speakers, and the format is going to come up as 44,100 hertz and two channel 24 bit is what it should be set at. And when I had this problem, I realized, uh, it, you know, I went online, I found similar things where people said, oh, if it gets set to, you know, 48 or, or something different, you're going to have these problems. And mine was set as it should. But what I found was if you change it to something else and then change it back, that seems to do some sort of system reset. And that actually fixed it for me uh, a couple of times. Now, I don't know why it kept happening, uh, but but that t two channel 24 bit is just as important as the uh, as the sample rate, which is forty four thousand one hundred hertz. So maybe that will help Pratic. Uh, short of that, man, I don't I don't know where else to look. Check, um, check your console logs, especially at startup to see if there's something weird, but I don't know. This is, this is one of those weird ones. Any other thoughts, John, on this one? Yes. Good. I want to see. What do you want to see? I don't know. I'm looking at an article here. I want to see if sounds are part of this. Uh, I was thinking PRAM. I'm looking at the list of things stored in PRAM, and uh -huh. here's some sound. Well, let's see, speaker volume, attention sound. Maybe worth a PRAM reset. Huh. I don't know if just the certain part. Yeah, so the article, HT1379, okay. says, what is in the PRAM? And, and a couple of the things hint at sound settings. So the reset of the PRAM, I don't think, could hurt. And that's command option P. Papa, R, Roger, or Romeo, sorry. That's right. right. Got to get the right. Got to get the right, right uh, NATO phonetic alphabet saying. I'm all about NATO. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so you hold down command option PR when you yep. start up your machine, and that will clear the PRAM. And based on what I know, you don't have to do it three times. I think that's just an urban legend among Mac people. I think once will suffice. Yeah, I always let it do it twice. But, but again, only or three. Well, three's a charm. That's maybe that's if you're why do it twice. You might, you as, might as well do it three times. Lock in. That's right. Uh, all right. So we've got a couple of questions about login and, and startup items. In fact, two almost polar opposites in their questions. We'll start with, with Connor and Connor writes twice now. And for no reason I can surmise some or all of my login items have disappeared from the pain in system preferences and did not launch on login. As you might imagine, this is a pain. Any ideas of why this might occur and where they're stored so I can at least make a list for the next time this happens? John, you're our, uh, you always seem to have the answer when it comes to this startup stuff, so go. Well, I can certainly answer half of the question, okay. which is the where. Okay. As to the why, maybe, so I'll do the where and you do the why. All right. The where is library preferences com.apple.loginitems.plist. That's where they're stored. Yep. And I think actually they may also be in your home library preferences, I, I, depending on whether it's a system or a personal. So I, so I think between I think that's the, right. Yes. But that's the name of the com.apple.loginitems.plist. So either if you've done a time machine backup, which everybody should be, you know, maybe look, look back and see if you have an earlier version of that file and you may be able to restore. Right. 
what was in there or just make a copy of it or make an archive of it. But that's where they all should be living. Okay. As to the why? Well, you know, I could, well, it's possible that this file has simply become corrupt. And uh, whenever the system tries to make a change to it, it, you know, it, it, uh, it, something happens and it's not able to, uh, to launch. If that's if, or it's not able to read enough, read far enough into the file to start launching things. Uh, or displaying the options on the screen. Remember most, certainly not all, but most of the settings and widgets that you see in the user interface, especially in system preferences, all of those are just graphical representations of what's stored in this, you know, big long list of P list files, a huge group of files. Uh, so, if one of those files can't be read, if, for example, this one can't be read, you go into system preferences and it's going to show nothing. Uh, that's just because this file can't be manipulated or, or accessed. Perhaps so. Uh, but I would not restore if that's the case, then restoring it from a time machine backup isn't going to help unless you happen to have a backup from pre corruption days. So deleting the file and then restarting the system and re adding to it, of course, you'd have to go through that once uh, would be the step. Once you get it built the way you want, you know, time machine's good, right? But why not just go save copies of both of those files, right? The home library preferences and then just library preferences. And uh, I think, I think that would uh, hopefully, you know, at least make it easy to restore this. Of course, we don't, we don't like chronic problems, but perhaps deleting it will, will solve that. What are you talking about? We love them. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise we wouldn't have a show. Well, no, not chronic problems. Not the chronic. We try to solve the chronic. That's right. Uh, all right. So along the, do you have anything to add before we move to the, the flip side of this? I, Joe? I think that's. All right. Yeah. That's it'll, that. it'll come to me eventually. Uh, so, someone had brought, I think we talked about it in the last show, but there's a utility that will let you uh, reorder examine and manipulate. Do, do you remember which it was? Tinker tool. I think it was Tinker tool or actually I think I may have been looking at this Tinker tool. I think allows you yes. greater control over the list because reordering them and changing them through the finders is, is right or through system preferences is annoying. So right, right. Tinker tool may may either bring up issues with it or is just a nicer utility to to see what's in that list. OK, I'm pretty sure that was it. Was that yeah. it? I think it I think you're right. Okay. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, all right. So Joe writes. I was experimenting with one password, but it didn't play well with little snitch. So I used app cleaner to delete it. Now my console shows the following messages. And there are a couple of messages talking about uh, trying to launch the one password agent and then having problems with it because there is no such file or directory. These messages endlessly repeat. How can I get them to end? I've shut down and restarted, but the messages continue. So, uh, what these messages are telling you, Joe, and anybody that sees these in the console is that the system is told to launch something, but cannot actually complete the launch of it. And in this case, it's telling you why. And that is there is no such file or directory. So app cleaner deleted all the files that had to do with uh, one password, but there's some setting left out there in the system somewhere that says, Hey, every time we start up, go launch that file so that the software will work. So, uh, so app cleaner just didn't wipe out that part of it. And, uh, John, you're going to, you're going to give us the answer as to where that part of it lives. You think so, huh? 
Well, if you don't, I'll do it. But uh, but I think you've <laughs> no, got a better I, I handle have on it. it. I have it. But but what I do want to add to this is I've noticed this with App Cleaner, which I think is is one of the better ones. Yeah, I use something a little different. So there's, a, there's App Zapper, App Cleaner. I think App Cleaner is nice because it's free, and I think it's pretty comprehensive. Sure. I use something called App Trap. But I think the problem with all of these, I'm going to say, so-called application cleanup utilities, is that while they find preferences and maybe things in in uh, is it a application? I'm trying to think of the other. Oh, library things, application support. Application support. So while they usually find preferences and application support files, I think either they're they're not smart enough or, or it's just out of their out of the, they just don't get rid of these other files which as the console message suggests it's part of launch d well it, it isn't it isn't launch d so what's happening launch d is the process that is the creator of all other processes okay and there are a number of places where information for launch d is stored so yeah i'm gonna get right down to it so one of the places that you're going to want to look, and I bet you're going to find it, is in your launch agents directory. And, and I believe, like many other things, they're, they're scattered about, but they're typically in slash library slash launch agents or your home directory slash library slash launch agents is where goodies for launch D, which I think are just plist files, are yeah. stored. Yeah. And I think the problem, again, is that App Cleaner and other things don't, they should... But I guess they don't. I, I found this as well because we've gotten this problem multiple times it, it, with people that have used these. Yep. So look in launch agents. It should be pretty clear. I mean, actually it gives the name here, I think. it's uh, Yeah, so you're probably going to find a, pot, a, a file called ws.agile.1passwordagent. Yeah. Or at least it has the word 1password in it. I mean, yeah, you'll, you'll be able to see sense. it. it yeah, they, they, yeah, there's usually enough <laughs> related to the English language there that you can suss your, suss your way through it. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's not hurting anything, but as he's pointing out, it's annoying because LaunchD is very, depending on how LaunchD is set up or how the plist file is set up, it can be very persistent in that it's going to try. Right. Every, well, yeah, like here it says, okay, every 10 seconds, try again. Yep. And for for you, uh, Joe, it probably is in your home directory library launch agents. And just as you surmised, John, it's ws.agile.1passwordagent.plist. Oh. So I've got it because I run one password. So, uh it, it all right. sits right there. Yep. So that's, uh, all right. So, so the console is, uh, told us almost everything we needed to know. Yeah, that's right. Just, it just doesn't tell you where it is or how to get rid of it. Yep. But that's what we're here for. We, you know, complimenting the console. That's going to be our new tagline. That'll, that'll, that'll win a lot of listeners. Don't you think? Complimenting. <laughs> Hello console. you you look very nice today. <laughs> By what bright letters you have. Uh, uh, <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, when you clear your screen, it's just a, oh, never mind. Um, John writes, I have a few questions about Apple Mail, and it's slowly bogging down and becoming unstable. Number one, uh, if mail keeps freezing up on an IMAP account, is there any way to find the actual communication log? All the logs I find have no info. So we're going to answer these questions one at a time. Uh, I did find an article at Mac OS 10 hints that talks about turning on all sorts of debugging logging for mail, and it'll spit more messages than you ever wanted to uh, see out in the console, because that's what we're all about here is complimenting the console. 
But in this case, uh, there's actually a better way to see the connection log of mail. And it's not entirely obvious that you're going to get this. If you go into mail and you go to window connection doctor, uh, it'll come up and immediately it will test all your connections that you have uh, to your various mail accounts, both incoming and outgoing. Uh, and that's handy for its own purposes. At the bottom of that screen, though, is a show detail uh, button. And that pops open a little drawer uh, hanging off of this window. If you were to choose uh, check again in the connection doctor, you'd see all the te- all the log of all those connections. And presumably that's what that detail is for. But if you leave this window open with the detail drawer out and go and check mail, uh, you will start seeing. And, and for some reason, I, I always find it happens like minutes later. It doesn't happen immediately, but uh, but if you leave that open, give it about five minutes and then all your mail activity will start being logged in this detail window. And it is it's a lot of data, but you see everything, what server it's logging into the entire uh, 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 exchange between your computer and the SMTP server, including the message. And if there's a password being sent in the clear, you can see that here to figure out, you know, what's going on. But uh, very, very interesting and very, very handy to have this out here. So. Hopefully that will that will, you know, between that or this this article at Mac OS 10 hints, hopefully that'll give you some indication as to what's happening. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what's going on, so it's hard to tell. Do you have anything to add on that one, John? Not in this case. I, I'm, okay. I'm with you that uh, that the, the, the detail that they show. Yeah. When I've seen it is equivalent to if you decided to go into the terminal and try to directly manipulate the mail server that that's pretty much what you're yeah. seeing. I don't, I don't know if I'd recommend that in this case. No, no, but you know, fun. you know, what's interesting is you could test, you could go download something like Thunderbird, which is uh, the Mozilla, the Firefox people. Uh, they also built, also built a mail client an IMAP client. And, and so you could go install Thunderbird and just make sure that any problems you're seeing are not related to the mail server, because if you see them in both Thunderbird and mail, well, now, you know, okay, there, there's some issue communicating with the mail server. Whereas if Thunderbird works fine, then you go back to mail and you say, okay, I know I've got some problem here. And I think based on your second question here, Joe, that you do have some problem. Uh, he says, I've had many, many, many crashes when opening my sent email when I haven't cleaned it out in a while. And there are four to 5,000 messages for me about a year's worth. Uh, It took me a long time to move them with a web client. Is there any way to rebuild all caching and accounts in mail? So first of all, four or 5,000 messages in any one mailbox is not a lot of messages for, for mail. I have some mailboxes that have, you know, four and five times that maybe even 10 times that. And, and they behave perfectly well uh, on, on just about any machine. It's really not a, not a problem. That said, uh, there are some things that you can do because clearly there's a problem with this sent mailbox. The first thing to try is if you can get the sent box to open and for mail to sit happily, uh, mail does keep some indexes of of its mailboxes and indexes of the messages. And those things can get uh, sort of, well, for, for lack of a better term, messed up. It also keeps copies of all the messages. So 
once the mailbox is open, you can go to the mailbox menu and choose rebuild. Uh, that will, it might take some time, especially if you've got this many messages out on the server, they might save all, you know, it's going to go and pull all those messages down, but it's going to rebuild everything about that mailbox. So uh, that might be the problem is you might just have a damaged mailbox there. Uh, other things to do might uh, include cleaning the caches uh, before you do any cache cleaning for mail. Make sure you quit mail first. You don't want to be mucking about with caches that it may or may not be relying on while uh, while it's running. So once you quit mail, Onyx will let you uh, clean up mail caches. There's an option to do that. Um, or you could do it manually. Home library caches, com.apple.mail. And then there's a cache.db file. You can throw that away. There's also uh, a way to clean mail has a what they call an envelope index, and it's a little SQL database that the system keeps to keep track of all this stuff. And I've had that get bloated and corrupted, not so much recently, but in the past. And there's a command you can issue. We'll, we'll just link to it because it's, you know, it's it's just kind of a crazy command. But it, it essentially you, you, you issue a SQL light three vacuum command on on this and that goes through and cleans it out. You could also just delete this file. It's home library mail envelope index. Again, with mail quit, delete the envelope index, relaunch mail, and it will rebuild that for you. So. Have you ever done anything like that? Have you ever, have you had you haven't been using mail long enough to have it come and, and haunt you yet? Have you? Oh, contraire. <laughs> well, no, I was just looking at my MacBook where I have all my mail. And so. As you know, Dave, I migrated from my, my, you know, my sweetheart for the longest time, Eudora. Right, right. But I migrated all my mail over. And actually, I'm looking in my sent folder and I have, uh, a, oh my gosh, John is a mail fiend. Because I'm looking here and I have all my mail. I think one of the first ones I sent was to you. Okay. <laughs> uh, but my sent mail da dates back to 1996. Okay. Now, why am I keeping that? And well, that, that. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to talk about that. But I have uh, right now it says that I have uh, 7,473 messages in my sent folder. And I've never had the only issue that I've had is. Are I, you I sure take a that's long... all of them? Because because in just well, that's the what it says on the top. Well, that's what it says on the top of the screen. In just the last year, I've sent 16,000 emails. And that's not really? counting. That's not counting Mac Geekab replies or anything. That's like my personal email. Well, that that's what this is what mail says. You and send I sort a lot of email date. too. Huh. And yeah, so I'm wondering, huh, maybe my mail is messed up. Yeah, I mean, it, well, if you think about it, right, you've got how many years you went back to 1993? So that's 18 90, years. 96. 96. Okay. So 15 years and 8,000 messages. Yeah, that's right? some kind of light. I mean, that's that's just barely more than one email a day. That's, you know, 533 a year. It's, you know, an email, well, an email and a half a day. I don't think that's you. I think you're missing some, man. Well, well that's the thing I know. And, you know, I, I do think some got lost because I did notice that some, even though they were in the sent folder, they would be missing important things like a subject. Or, so, yeah, I, I think there may have been some corruption with okay. the older ones when okay. they were in Eudora. As far oh, as I can see, right. anything that's been handled by. Yeah. So I think the migration went as well as it could. But I suspect there was some corruption in the Eudora database. Huh. You know, I mean, a lot of that stuff isn't except yeah. for nostalgia, like, 
you know, I, I think, you know, one of the early ones was like, Hey Dave, I got an email. Right. Yeah. Oh no, I know. How about I you? know Isn't that, this cool? Or I'm with the new ISP dude. Yay. Yeah. I know what, <laughs> I know that the first email I sent using Eudora, I mean, we'd, we'd sent email using, well, UUCP before, uh, that and then pop and, you know, or not pop, but just from command line using pine or even just mail at a Unix command line. But the first one I sent using Eudora over a, a pop connection, was definitely to you. I, I still have that one somewhere out there. So. And and I still see one here. So yeah, I was turning my mic. So, uh, you know, the, the, you're turning back, but there won't be a lot of noise, but one of the first ones here. So November 21st, 1996, uh, from, uh, my NAI account to you yeah. at a, at a nerd's account. Good news. NAI is upgrading their equipment and lowering their price to seventeen ninety five a month for unlimited use. This is dialogue. I got to change. Yes. Bad news. I got to change my email address. It's now uh, blah, blah, blah. And they're out of business. Now. Oddly enough, return address by, could have been worse. So yeah, that was an early email that I uh, sent to you and all my other friends saying, oh, I'm with yet. Cause I think before then I was with at home. So actually, yeah, totality. I think, yeah, before then, or no, I was at, with at home later. Maybe I didn't save those. So, Conclusion is yes. I think my, my sent email may, uh, may have been corrupted because that does seem kind of light for yeah. the amount of communicating that I do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you have me going and checking my old email archives, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know where it is, though. I'm not sure. I, I thought I... Uh, yeah, hang on. I'm, I'm close here. It was uh, August 20... 20- Fourth of nineteen ninety four is the uh, at eight forty four p.m. When I wrote to you. I think I'm going to like this TCP IP thingy. I just need to get PPP running. Slip S L I P all caps as an acronym tends to suck. Oh well, and that was to your portal.com account. That's right, and from my oh. portal.com account. So yeah, this is yes, a, August of ninety four. Serial link internet protocol. That's right. Yeah. PPP was point to point. For, okay. All right. Enough. <laughs> Let's get out of the past. <laughs> yeah, this is good though. I mean, it, it, what, what's amazing is, is that, and, and this actually is going to speak, believe it or not, this was not intentional, but this is going to speak to uh, part of the answer. The second question that he has, uh, or the third question, he says, will archiving my mail speed up my mail client? If yes, what's the best program to use for archiving? I've looked at things like mail steward, but it doesn't seem to integrate with spotlight. And I'd still like to be able to do universal searches. So uh, in a general sense, you know, I, I think I don't think having lots and lots of mail in mail causes a problem because I just was able to search and find. And my biggest problem was remembering what mailbox I put this stuff in, uh, because in the old days with Eudora, I had, you know, I had thousands, literally thousands of different mailboxes that I would archive things to. Of course, now, because search has gotten so much better I just have one archive and I dump everything into it. And if I want to find something, I search it, which is how life should be. So, so no, I, I, I would not say that mail gets any faster. Uh, but while we're on the subject of mail archiving, I, I want to talk about, there is an archive command in mail uh, and, and you can highlight messages. We've talked about this before, but it, it's interesting. You can highlight or a mailbox and choose archive mailbox. All this does is makes, and I realize this is not what John was asking. John was asking about mail steward, uh, which is a, a different program, but in mail itself, if you choose archive mailbox from the mailbox menu, uh, it simply takes 
a copy or makes a copy of the contents of that mailbox and saves it out in a format called MBox, which see now we we're still tying into the past. That that was the uh, format that was standard on all uh, Unix command line systems and is basically standard to any mail program now and they can all pull it in including Apple's Mail. Uh so, but it doesn't do anything with the messages in your mailbox. If you wanted to, you'd then have to go and delete those files uh, for, or those messages from your, uh, from your email. So, uh, so for me, I get them off my IMAP server because I just don't want to store everything up there. In fact, I have more mail than I have storage on my IMAP server. So, uh, so I just create some on my Mac folders and I copy things into those and I leave them there. And clearly uh, I have stuff going back to 1994 and seems to be, just fine, happy, easy to find. The message was in, I have all the, well, I don't have headers because that was a sent message. So you would have the headers if you had that message in your archive, John. But so that's, uh, that's that. Have you ever done any, any archiving or any, I guess not. <laughs> I guess I, I answered my own question there, right? Nothing outside of what you do it in. Right. Right. No. Right. So not, nothing like that though. We'll have to look at mail steward again. It's an interesting program. The The idea is that it stores this stuff off in standard format databases. Uh, it's searchable. Uh, you can even go with mail steward pro, which will do uh, MySQL. So you could save, mm. but you have to set up a MySQL server either locally or on a third That's party. That's what I remember. And yeah, but by, by based on that, I think you would get much quicker searches since it's using a real database. Right. Yeah. 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 That's right. Well, yeah. I mean, then there's a little, there's that SQL database built into Mac OS 10. And I th I think that's what it uses for its, uh, for the non pro stuff, but you know, I don't know. It's, uh, I, I, I haven't used it. So I, you know, it, it might be one of those programs that once, once you use it, you say, Holy cow. Cause the people that use it, I know, you know, love it and wouldn't consider, can't even imagine that I, that I don't do this, but again, mail just works fine for me. So I got the only issue I have with mail is every once in a while, and I don't know if it's doing garbage collection, but I will try to bring it to the front. Okay. Using the, you know, the built-in app switcher. Yeah. You know, a, a command tab or Apple tab or. Yeah. Clover tab, whatever you want to call it. I'm, right. I'm looking at my old style keyboard here, but sometimes I'll select mail and it does not come to the front sometimes for a real long time. And I know that I highlighted the icon, which should huh. bring it to the front. So I'm suspecting it's, it's doing some sort of indexing or garbage collection or is just in some cases busy off in la la land and just isn't paying attention well, you to know, the request I saying, hello, please come to the front. I, I, I want to speak to you. I, um, a long time ago, I, well, it's because I'm obsessive and I need to know what's going on with my computer. But you, yeah, you you, you, you may find this surprising, John. That's right. Uh, I'm shocked. <laughs> if you go to the window <laughs> menu in Mail, just above the Connection Doctor is Activity, and I have this by default. Well, it's not by default, but I I set it up this way immediately. Uh, I have this open on all of my computers, so I can see exactly what you're talking about, John. Because otherwise, Mail shows you some. Activity progress kind of on that left view of the, the left panel of the, the window, but it doesn't show you everything. And like John said, there's a bunch of garbage collection that goes on. There's some indexing. There's all sorts of different things that mail does. And sometimes I'll see, you know, eight or 10 things listed it happening simultaneously in that activity menu. 
So, or a window rather. So it's really, really handy to keep that open. If you, uh, if you can find a spot for it, I can't live without it. It's like lights on a modem, you know, or lights on a hard drive. Uh, you know, it, it, I need to see what's going on. It's like, it's like having a, you know, it's like the same reason we run iStat menus. Okay. Now that's a good one because I, I do have mail. I mean, I'm tied into my, my primary ISP. I'm tied into mobile me. I'm tied into Gmail. I think I'm tied into maybe one more. So, so yeah. I have at least, I'm talking to at least three mail servers. So it's certainly possible that, or maybe just something's happening all at once. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just like, well, I'm, I'm busy doing this. I'm really not going to show you the, uh, you know, the, the, the mail window right now. Just, just hold on. Yeah. Sit tight. <laughs> no, I'll buddy. Br- I'll br- I'll br- no, I'll bring up that. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll have that hidden somewhere so I can see what the, what the heck it's doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's handy. I like it. I couldn't live without it actually. All right. Uh, Karsten's got a couple of questions. The first is, I would like your advice on a few finder replacement apps. I constantly find myself administering files on my network and need to use cut and paste, uh, i.e. administering movies on my Drobo or, uh, or so our three Apple TVs can play them and so on. Finder does not seem to have this function. I tend to use Windows 7 for this reason with two windows side by side, which makes this task much faster. <gasps> So I found, he says, I, I, I find that there are several things. Windows did, 7. Did I, just, hear, did I hear Windows 7? He did. You did. <laughs> uh, and, and so he says, so I found Total Finder and installed this app and like it so far. In my research, I also found Pathfinder, which is more expensive, and thought of reaching out to you to find out what you recommend before I purchase any of these apps. Or maybe you simply know of another product that gives me cut and paste for free. So what he's talking about, uh, for those of you that don't uh, know this, but in the Finder you can select a file and choose copy uh, just like you would with text in a word document or a pages document, and then go to another folder and choose paste. And and these are from the edit menu in the finder and it will copy. It will, it will make a copy of that file where you, where you pasted it. But what Karsten wants is the ability to cut and paste, meaning once the copy is in the new place, it's no longer in the old uh, and I can see that being very handy. I mean, it, you know, we move files all the time and that's what a, co- a cut and paste is, is he wants to execute a move. Uh, so he's asking about alternatives to the finder because the finder does not let you do this. Uh, John, I know you've, you, you've experimented with, uh, and, and so have I with total finder. I'm going to let you talk a little bit more about it because I, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I like these programs. I like the concept of an enhanced finder, but I always find there's just something that's quirky or that I can't do the way I need to do it. And it drives me crazy enough. And then I quit them and stop them from launching. And, and that happened with total finder about two weeks ago for me. Really? Yeah, there was, it just was too. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I, but I, I like it. That's the thing. It's like, I, it's just, but it's not the finder. And sometimes I just need the finder and it, it was, you know, happening too often. I don't know. In my case, I'm I'm going to plug Total Finder. Yep, I've actually good worked stuff. with yeah. uh, I've actually worked with uh, the develop. Uh, you know, I, I think I actually found a bug in in the product when it was in beta and it was free. Yep, uh, they do a good job of communicating the, the the bugs. I'm still on a mailing list for an ongoing bug that they had a problem where it would spin up the processor during certain things, and then that bug went away. Uh, but to me, it has basically to the, the main functionality for that. And right now I'm looking at their page here and I got to figure what the asterisk means, but uh, 
<laughs> it says buy for $15, which is, I believe, what I bought it for. Then it says or $10 with a little star, and I can't see where. Okay, so so wag of the finger is when you put an asterisk, have somewhere on the page explaining what it, it means. It should go somewhere, right? <laughs> but even to me for $15, well, I'll click on the link right now. But for me, $15, I mean, the feature that it gave me that made it totally worth it. Oh, okay. So three license pack is $30. So, so oddly enough, I have that's a three for the price of two right there. A three. for Yeah. Now, oddly enough, I haven't installed and hopefully he won't yell at me, but I haven't installed on two machines. Um, and I use the single license code. Though I don't use them both at the same time. So hopefully that's within the, you you are only one man. Uh, Yes. (laughs) For the most part. Unless I stop taking, <laughs> you know, the, the medication. That's yeah. right. That's right. No, I don't have these problems. And not making fun of people that do. Anyways, the, the, the feature that did it for me was, as you, Dave, you wanted, uh, what, what was it iChat with tabs? Echo, echo, echo. That's right. I wanted Finder with tabs. Because to me, it was infuriating that the one shortcoming of the Finder is that if you want to do anything between two folders, you had to create two finder windows and it was just so annoying and it cluttered right. your desktop and all that. So to me, it's worth the $15 or $10 just for that feature is to have multiple because it makes copying and pasting. It's just so many operations. You know, I, I even think windows, I don't know if windows seven allows this, but the, to me, that's what sold the, that that's what sold me on it was a finder with tabs is just indispensable for, for my daily workflow. It has a bunch of other things that I really don't use. And, every now and then the cut and paste i mean that that's one of the things so so when i do see people asking about that feature i'm like you know get this just get get total finder come on it's 15 bucks and uh and it helps a lot of people so what you do is you highlight something you say cut and then i think what happens is it will gray it out and then once you paste it then it it deletes it right um well and if it's on the see i think and i think this is why the finder uh does not have this functionality because it it's it's contextual. And by that, I mean, if you cut from one folder on your main hard drive and paste to another, that's simply a move operation, right? You're just moving the file, just like you dragged it there. However, if you cut from your main hard drive and paste to a location on an external or other hard drive, then that is a copy and delete. And that's two operations Uh and, and potentially destructive. Right. I mean, if something happened during the copy and, you know, things weren't right on the new location, yet it removed it from the old location. Well, you're out. That's it. You know, now that shouldn't happen. But again, potentially destructive. And it wouldn't surprise me if, if you know, the, that, that combination where it's not entirely clear is why Apple simply chose not to implement that in the Finder. I don't know. I'm not saying right. they, I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying that, that, that that's yeah. probably their thought process. Yeah. And the other thing I I like is how they integrate with the finder is that if you go to the finder or when you're in total finder and you go to preferences, Mm -hmm. you will see the normal preferences like general labels, sidebar advanced, and then you'll see a new icon, total finder. So so it integrates well in that it's not a jarring user experience. And they also have a menu item where, where you can also get to them as well. Now, uh, the other one, I had tested out Pathfinder for a while, too. In fact, Go, were, I haven't I used were, them, so they were sponsored I'm, I'm for the in. show for a while. Um, Excellent. But, Great uh, Yeah, but um, what, I, what I liked about that, and again, I liked it in a general sense, but I just couldn't live with it uh, because it's not the Finder and I'm used to the Finder. Huh. 
Yeah, I don't know. But but what I liked about it was it had a stack so you could take three or four files and drag them to the stack and then go to navigate to another window and start dragging off the stack. And it, it literally acted like a a physical stack where, you know, if I put uh, file A, then file B, then file C, file C was the most recent one on the stack and I could drag that off. And then once I did, file B was there. And once I dragged that off, file A was there. And, and, uh, and that that was actually a really handy thing. You kind of had to think about. Uh, you know, it's great functionality, but because you have nothing like it in the finder, you're not, you're not missing it per se. You might be missing the efficiency that it provides, but, but, you know, you kind of need to redo your workflow to, to start thinking about things in terms of, oh, I could use the stack for this. But, uh, but, but once you do that, yeah, it was, that was pretty cool. Moving on to Karsten's second question, John. Okay. Yeah. Or, or do you have more on this one? Oh, no, no, no. Okay. All right. No, I, I again, I got my favorite. I, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm, if anyone has any additional finder tweakers or alternatives, I, I'd like to know about them, but those yeah. are, those are the two major ones that I know they, about. They are. Yeah. All right. Uh, Karsten writes, uh, like you, I too have debate, debated antivirus protection on Macs, but I refuse. Uh, so my solution has been to change my DNS settings on my 2011 MacBook Pro, iMac, and MacBook Air to use DNS settings for OpenDNS.com. Uh, and then uh, but Karsten writes a little bit about, about what OpenDNS is. He says OpenDNS is a free service and they block a lot of spyware and virus sites. I've encountered that misspelling Google a few times where OpenDNS would d- direct me to a safe page mentioning that the page that was trying to get me to go was blocked due to malicious content. Uh, in other words, I did not get caught. Uh, so a little bit about <laughs> open DNS before we go on to his next question, we've talked about it before, so we're not going to go totally in depth, but the idea is that open DNS is a third party DNS service potentially, but not necessarily faster than whatever DNS you might use with your provider, but very configurable. You tell open DNS, uh, you create an account there and and tell it what your IP address is, uh, and then and it can figure this out too if you just run a little app on your Mac, and then it knows anytime a request comes in from your network at home, and at that point you can get reports on what's happening. You can uh, configure it like Karsten says to block virus sites. You can have it block advertising. You can have it block. Uh, pornography, you can have it block uh, chat sites, you know, they've got a lot of different things. And then you can whitelist and blacklist certain sites too. really, really configurable. And of course, very, very handy for things like phishing and, and uh, uh, not phishing with a pole, but, but the, the internet phishing. Right. 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 So So it's like you're administering your own DNS server. It's sort of, but without the pain of having to, you know, administer your own DNS server. Cause I've done that. Okay. That's a pain in the neck. Okay. You know, <laughs> you don't so want to provide a, they provide a, a, a nice interface to do that. Yeah, they, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, but it's really cool and a, a really smart service. Um, and I use it here for, for just for a lot of reasons, uh, but I, I like it. It's good. So Karsten's question is, uh, I'm reaching out to my fellow geeks on this podcast, needing advice since open DNS has trouble getting the point. Uh, I guess he's tried open DNS uh, support, which is odd. Uh, he says, when I use open DNS, it is uh, it's by default filters. It, it uh, 
Okay. I mean, I think there's a couple extra words in here. Uh, when I use OpenDNS, uh, it by default filters DNS requests to the internet. However, since I do not use my router's DNS, I have trouble looking up network names on my internal network. I created an OpenDNS.com account, but I'm having trouble telling it to use my router's IP for all internal addresses. So what he's talking about here is if you have your own router use, uh, if, if you have... If you use your network by def- like set up as default where your router controls you, all your DNS and all your lookups and all that stuff, you can connect to other machines on your network by their names. Uh, and this is because, especially with Apple routers, a computer registers its name with the router. The router knows what IP address it has given to that computer. And so it can do a lot of this magic internally. But. Karsten has set his computer to not look at his router for DNS. He has set his uh, computer to look at open DNS. And because of that, it doesn't get to talk to the router and it doesn't get to get this information. Uh, There are some things you can do. Uh, The, the most complex, uh, which is the specific answer to your question is to put both open DNS and your router in as your DNS settings. But, uh, but then then you're going to wind up with a situation where you're not quite sure what your internet lookups are going through. So that that can be sort of tricky. Uh, a better situation is let all your computers act as default and use your router as its name server and then go into your router and tell your router to use open DNS instead of your provider's DNS and instantly every computer on your network is now going through and doing that really, really handy. Uh, and that's how I do it here. I, do you use open DNS, John? No. Just because you haven't bothered or, or is there some specific yes. reason? Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I wasn't However, sure. I know sometimes you have, you have, you know, different reasons for avoiding or using certain services. <laughs> I've never, I've, I've, I'm perfectly happy with the DNS that I have. Okay. So I, well, I will mention though, because there was a, I think you had, you had brought up a little earlier a, a question or Carson did about performance. Yeah. And I'm going to suggest something which involves open DNS, but it's a little thing. I wrote a gadget. I'll link to that or, or just tell you what it's called. It's called name bench and it's a, it's from Google and assuming that you trust Google, <laughs> uh, it is a DNS benchmarking utility. And I think for anyone so what it does, it, it'll run various tests and check not only your, your ISP's DNS, but also things like Google's public DNS. I guess that's the plug there. Open DNS, Ultra DNS, and all, all these other guys. Because DNS, the thing is, if a DNS is working, then you don't really notice a problem. But if a DNS is overloaded or misconfigured or just sucks, then you're going to be sitting there wondering what's happening. So this is a nice utility to benchmark uh, various DNS's in your uh, network neighborhood shall we say so cool cool all right uh along those same lines we actually had a post out to the forums from adam uh and adam writes i'm wondering if anyone can advise me on how to log all the activity all of the urls visited on my airport express i'm using a macbook pro a fully updated os 10 but i want to log all the users connected to the airport express uh 
so John, I know you have an airport <laughs> express, right? But, um, it, you know, my, my initial thought was, and this is why I put these two questions together, but my initial thought was, well, open DNS will tell you not on a computer, computer by computer by computer basis, but certainly in a general sense from your network, what sites were looked up, which in almost all cases, but certainly not all means these were the sites that were visited uh, in some capacity. And, and of course, if there's something and we don't know why Adam's doing what why he wants to do, what he's doing, but uh, he, I, I want to know, I know you do. Oh, okay. It's okay to want to gonna make a big deal about it because yeah, uh, uh, I won't spend too much time, but it did make me wonder what, why do you want to monitor traffic? My guess is he wants to know what his kids are doing. I'm okay with that, but you know, it's like someone asking, can you teach me how to pick a lock? Ah, well, I could teach you how to pick a lock or I could ask you, why do you you? want to pick the lock? Could you, could you teach me how to pick a lock? Do you know how to pick a lock? I really don't think that's appropriate for this podcast. No, I'm I'm curious. Do you, do you know? In theory, <laughs> in theory, I know of the tools that one could use that. That's all I'm going to say. All right. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just, just you know, it's things I learn. It's interesting. I'm going to put that on the list. Um, may <laughs> lock or may class. not know how to pick a lock. <laughs> Got it. I'm just emailing this to a couple of key people. It's, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. Keep uh, uh, <laughs> hilarious. All right, Actually didn't uh, you know? All right, back back on track here. Yeah, back on track. So, um, so that was my that was my first thought was, uh, you know, use Open DNS. You can you can get a good general list from there. But specifically about his question, airport utility, to my knowledge, doesn't give you that. You could turn on what's called SNMP simple network monitoring or management protocol. Yes. Uh, I always think of it as monitoring because that's all I ever do with it. I don't ever make changes. I just monitor things. Uh, And that will let you pull certain data from it, but only data that the airport express cares to publish. I I can't imagine it's going to publish this because that's a, I mean, it would cause kind of a a pretty big weight on the, uh, on the server to keep pushing out all this data. But, uh, but anyway, you've got an airport express, so, so go ahead. All right. So I'll answer some of this. So I think in theory, I I believe what there's a unit of data. Maybe you could look this up, Dave, or or do some background thing, but there's something called a mid. I think it's a management information block, which is a piece of data that describes to an SNMP environment, what the device can do. And I do not believe, though I think in theory, it's possible for you to collect these statistics in general, I don't think that's really the purpose of SNMP. So to answer the question about Airport Express, yes, Airport Express, at least the model I have. So I have model A1084, which is the 802G model, but it does support SNMP. Now, the way to get to that is if you run the airport utility and you go to advanced logging and statistics, you will see a little checkbox, allow SNMP. Right. Okay, good. You will, you will also see... So I'll be, I will caution people. You will also see a box saying allow SNMP over WAN. What's WAN? Well, WAN is wide area network. And I think what that's basically saying is allow anybody on the internet to do SNMP queries on your device, which I would say you probably don't want to do that. 
So then I looked around, uh, I, I did a search for utilities that would take advantage of the SNMP capabilities of the airport and report data. And I got to say, I didn't, I, I don't think I found what, what was being looked for here. I did find a few things. One was called airport flow, another called SNMP status. And then another one, which maybe I can go back to you, Dave, maybe you could help me with this called MRTG. Ah, multi-router traffic grapher, right? Isn't that what that stands for? I believe so. And I, uh, so based on what you just said to me and based on the purpose of the other tools I found, at least the level of SNMP data that the airport makes available is only at the high level traffic level, right? It doesn't tell you individual, you know, this person did this, this person did that. So open DNS is certainly an option, but another one, so, so without digging too much into the purpose here, but if the purpose is indeed to monitor the usage of, of, of the wee ones, then I think my, there's something guess, that will... My guess uh, is if you want to... As a parent, uh, I haven't really cared about monitoring at this level, but as the kids get older, I, I might. I don't know. So it might, well, they might not my, be as my, wee as you think, John. <laughs> well, then my advice may, may, may be something you want to consider, Dave is that if you set up, a, so assuming that the computers connecting to the airport are Macs, then what you can do is set up a user account, enable parental control, or a normal or standard account, as we call it, versus an administrative account, enable parental controls, and then under parental controls, there is a web category, and under the web category is a logs button, and you can log websites visited, the websites visited, websites Locked, whoa, which means that if you enable filtering for adult content, then the Wii one has <laughs> tried to enter the forbidden zone. Now, let me ask you, let me ask you about this, though, John. Because so I haven't looked at these logs. I, I just saw the category. So I'll admit I, ha- I haven't actually tested these, but I, I see that parental controls has the ability to log this activity. But so what if I'm using test. Firefox? Do those logs work? I don't think they do. I think they only work for Safari. Think? Yeah. Because it says websites visited, which to me implies anything on port 80. Yeah. But I don't right, think that, it's, that, I don't think a, it's that, tracking port. I don't think it's doing that. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a good question, but it, uh, I, I think you make a valid point and maybe you want to, because I would assume you can limit the applications. If you're talking a normal or standard account, you can prevent certain apps from being installed. Sure. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But, but to, to finish up. So, so the items that you can log are websites visited, websites blocked applications and dig this. I chat data. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. So you can see if, you know, they're having filthy, filthy, nasty, you know, profanity laden chats with whatever, which being kids these days, I don't know. <sighs> Probably just like we were. Yeah. Yeah. That's the problem. You're going to drop the F-bomb and, and all, other, all other sorts of bombs. <laughs> Figurative and not literal, of course. So uh, the other thing I suggested, uh, though, again, if it's assuming that it's monitoring the kiddos, then I think parental controls is probably going to be uh, on the max is going to be your, your best avenue here. The other thing I could suggest, so I, think, I don't think it's a total solution, but something that I just haven't used for a while, but I, I like using on occasion is uh, a packet. Uh, oh, what are we going to call this here? Sniffer, uh, a Watcher? sniffer, or a pr- 
protocol analyzer, I think is the, uh, the highbrow term for you this. Got all but, Star Trek on me, man. Yeah. <laughs> Cause, uh, in the old days I actually used devices that were dedicated to doing this. You would plug a network cable into it and then have it go out. But Wireshark is my favorite. And even though on the Mac, it still runs under X11, which is an older windowing protocol, but it runs fine on the Mac. But Wireshark is a utility where basically you hop on a network and it will capture all the traffic and show you what's happening. Now, it's not thorough because, you know, if, you, if you're on a, either a wired or wireless network, especially in the age of switches, you're probably not going to see all the traffic, but you're probably going to see enough broadcast traffic. And I, I did this quickly before the show, Dave. Okay. Is that, you know, I hooked up my iPhone and I hooked up a few devices. And at the very least, you can see some activity related to the device if you know the IP address, which if it's on your network, you should. And you can see if it's doing DNS lookups and, and some other things that require broadcast reply traffic. And I, I think also, depending on whether the network is open or closed, right, uh, you'll see more or less data. So Wireshark may be an, uh, another thing to explore, but... Again, thinking about the context, I think I think the parental controls are probably the best thing in this case. And uh, I don't know if you have any additional. No, wisdom. I really, I really don't. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I think we hit them all. Yeah, that was a good question though. And yeah. SNMP is a uh, is a beautiful. Uh, I I, I got to say the, the utilities that I dug up from the depths there are are really useful. And, and I think for. You know, so if the listeners aren't interested in controlling whoever's on the network, I think they're also useful because a lot of these show data flow that you see on your device versus what, especially in the age of uh, bandwidth uh, shaping and monitoring and capping. Yep. I think these are a lot of these are useful because these will tell you, all right, this device has passed this much data through this interface. And if your device says this much and your ISP says that much, at least you got some something to fall back on right. and MRTG. I think Yeah, uh, you use that. I, I, I think you use that on a frequent basis. Yeah, I do actually. I, I, I haven't looked at the graphs from it in a while because I, I get them. I get the data in different ways, but, uh, but yeah. And when we went through this question, I realized, Oh yeah, still got MRTG running on the, uh, on the G4 downstairs slurping data from TMO servers. And I'm sure it's still doing it every five minutes. Like it always has. And if I visit the little website, I'll see the links or I'll see the graphs. And it's handy. But, this to, will, but, but it'll see. show you the big picture or yes. the little picture but as far as how much data is going between you and your ISP or ISPs. Or that, that's your, right. Your yeah, network. I actually have it running on my on my router, too. I, I mean, I wouldn't have gone out of my way to do this on my router, but but because I was setting it up for every other machine at the time, I thought, well, it's easy enough to do. And uh, yep, statistics were last updated uh, about 32 seconds ago on my router. So I have it. Wow. Yep. I have a daily, weekly, monthly and yearly graph uh, that shows me, you know, the, the data for the daily graph shows me in five minute intervals what, you know, what I'm doing. And I can see when we started the podcast, you know, there's just like a little bump up of my uh, my data. And I can see that, it you know, between like. 1 and 6.30 a.m., there was very little data except for little, you know, blips that went out, presumably little backups or whatever. So it's cool. I mean, it's handy. Um, and I can see my average speeds and my maximum speeds and all that good stuff. But, you know, so it's I think stuff. you wrapped up, Dave, and then you said that certain routers may be able to do this, but certainly not the airport. I think the airport, no, the airport is, can is, can do MRTG. No, 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 no. Oh. I, I, I meant monitoring specific traffic. Yeah. 
like yeah. user, this user at this IP is going to this website and all that. I, I think you hinted at that. I don't oh, know. Oh, sonic, sonic walls, you know, some of those, okay. those high end firewalls will, but, but nothing that I know of in the consumer space. Of course, I, I have to give a, a nod to uh, our own John Martellero here on the TMO staff. And I know he, he's also a listener. So hi, John. Uh, I mean nothing when I when I when I say that Sonic Wall is not a consumer device. I know you use one at your home, but uh, but you're you're crazy about that stuff, and we love you for it. <laughs> uh, but to me, that kind of combines, you know, and that that it, it's spanning, and then let's move on. But but it's spanning because you mentioned firewall, and to me, firewall and router are, are I think at the very least at different levels. Yeah, networking wise, is that a router? I think its job is to move traffic, not really to control traffic or log it. I think right. a firewall is, is more in that class. That's right. And so it sounds like this device combines the, the, the functionality of, of those two worlds. That's actually, that's a very good point, John. Yeah. It, it's the, the sonic wall is a firewall. And the reality is most people in their homes don't care to set up to purchase, which is kind of a part of it purchase set up or administer a true firewall. I've set up a bunch of sonic walls in you know, in the course of my consulting, especially days. And uh, you know, they're cool. It's, it's act. They're actually kind of awesome. Cause the way I, I totally uh-huh. know why Martellero <laughs> runs one uh, because it's cool. And if I had one, you know, I'd totally run it cause they were great, but, um, but they cause all kinds of problems, you know, because you got, well, they, they cause problems because of what they do. They get in your way just like you want them to. And I remember when he set up his, uh, his, his microcell from AT&T had all kinds of problems and finally realized, uh-huh. Oh, it's, it's my sonic wall. That's not letting this traffic through. And, and, you know, I mean, he didn't blame it on anything. He's like, Oh, it's because I have a sonic wall. And he, he appreciates that, you know, 99.99% of the home users out there don't even know what these things are, let alone go out and purchase them. So, you know, no harm, no foul. So, yeah, good stuff though. Um, you know, all right, this is what it is. I, I think it's uh, it's band time, John. T- two shows in a row, we've we've uh, we've overrun our time and uh, and are gonna skip cool stuff found. So we're gonna we'll just have we've got it queued up for Monday. All show right. three 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 coming up on Monday. That's gonna be exciting, don't you think, well, John? Hope- well, hopefully, it'll be three times as exciting as show one eleven. So I've got to go back and listen to one eleven. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm assuming we're all gonna be here, Dave. Oh Maybe yeah, that's right. right. There are those. Maybe I don't want to go there. Saturday's a big day. It is a big day. It's my daughter's dance recital. Big, huge day. Ah. <laughs> I was gonna comment on the billboards that I've seen in my neighborhood, and a lot of you have seen saying that Saturday is is it. What does this have to do with Max? Well, you know, if the world ends, then everything. Well, no, nothing. It's not Mac specific. All right. So let's move on. Okay. <laughs> you can contact us. And if you want to contact John about that last comment, no, you can send us comments to premium. Well, you say, yeah, yeah. You, you, you could send them to me. Yeah, that's right. John at MacObserver.com. We'll get to him. Uh, <laughs> premium at MacObserver.com sends the questions in. Uh, Are you sure about that? Are you sure it's not premium at MacGeekGab.com, Dave? It's premium at MacGeekGab.com. Okay, I thought you said before premium at MacObserver.com, which I believe goes nowhere. Oh, that might go nowhere. Did I say Mac well, Observer? I, think, I did. I said well, John I and Mac Observer. You, you, yeah, That's right. So, you, so, so I just want to be clear to everybody. Premium at MacGeekGab.com. That's Listen right. to me and not Dave. That's right. <laughs> so if you listen to Dave, he would probably say. 
premium at macgeekab.com. Okay, or we got that straight. 206-666-GEEK, which is 4335. You can follow us on Twitter. Twitter.com slash Dave Hamilton is me. John F. Braun is him. Mac Geekab is the show. Mac Observer is the site. Pilot Pete is flying somewhere today. Who knows? Uh, but if you followed him on Twitter, you might know. I think he's uh, down and back to Orlando, which is better weather than here. But the sun just came out, John. I'm seeing it pouring through my window. Likewise. Yeah. Yesterday was uh, dreary. Yeah, it's pretty dreary here today, but it just just while we were doing the show, it started coming out. Uh, I'd like to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast for converting this to AAC. I'm hoping he converts this to AAC. I know he's driving back uh, from uh, Florida right now, so uh, if this if this is not AAC, uh, Michael sends his apologies. Um, Cashfly provides all the bandwidth and we, bandwidth, and we'd like to thank them too. Got anything else, John, before we wrap this one up? No, I see the sun out there. I think I'm going to... The sun's good. Check it out. I'm actually playing hooky for the rest of the afternoon today. You? Yeah, my son is uh, home from school and no one else is home with him because it's dance recital week and there's all kinds of things happening. So oh. I get to go play with my son this afternoon. It's a beautiful thing. Fun. We'll see you Monday. Don't get caught. <laughs>